This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Do join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you that uh, you create space for us to come and to, uh, to just to sit in the midst of a busy season of life, to sit and remember that you're still working outside these walls, even as we pause in here. And I would ask, God, that uh, you would be true to your word, that you promise to meet us in this space as we come to, to be with you. And so would you meet us uniquely right where we need to be today? Would you speak to us? Would you show us uh, a little bit more that we can trust you with our lives? And then as we take steps of faith walking with you, God, would you lead us to the freedom that you promise? And I thank you for my friends who are giving now. I, I ask that you would use the resources uh, that we receive to really bless not only this church community, but our larger community. And I would ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're passing those baskets. You can drop in your Start Here card. You can drop in your tithes and offerings. And then at any point, go ahead and look through that Life Group program and find a Life Group that's right for you. And then you're just going to drop those cards out in the lobby. And hey, one more thing I want to say is this evening, don't forget, it's our town hall gathering. So if you've been thinking, boy, I'd love to sit down and just talk, talk with our pastoral team, ask some questions, hear what's happening this fall. This evening would be the time for you to come. We're going to be right here in this room. I'm going to set up a circle right up here, and we're just going to sit. Our pastoral team's going to share some things they're excited about. I'll share a little bit. But the majority of the time is really just a time to talk together. Because as our influence grows, I never want us to lose the reality that we are actually one community sharing this journey together. And so I want to invite you back at 6.30 tonight for an hour and a half to this space. I'll make some coffee, I'll make some tea, uh, and we'll just share some time together. Well, hey, we're wrapping up what really feels like a mini-series. Like, I'm used to going through a series for more like five, six, seven, twelve weeks. We're doing a three-week series. It's like a mini-series right now, and each level of this series builds on itself. So I've said from the very beginning, like week one, we were kind of getting our gear together, ready to climb a mountain. Week two, we got to base camp, and today we're going to summit Everest. We're going to get to the top. We're going to get to the peak. We're going to look out and and uh, see the horizon of what God's doing through this series we're talking about. But because it all builds on itself, if you're coming in today for the first time, or if you missed a couple weeks, you're going to think, wait, how does this connect together? So I'm going to do my best in like five minutes to try to capture the last hour of teaching that we've had over these last two Sundays together. So here we go. Uh, we're in this series called Crazy Like Us. And here's what we've discovered. We're statistically discovering something that we actually know from experience to be true, which is this, that most of us do not know how to be generous. And I'm talking about finances, financial generosity. Most of us in America don't know how, but it's not our fault necessarily. No one's ever taught us how to be generous. And if no one teaches you how, then you don't actually know how. The problem is most of us think we know how, but statistically speaking, we just don't, and that's okay. But I've been trying to teach us how to think about something new, how to look at generosity in a whole new way. Because if you were like me, if you were raised going to church kind of here and there sporadically, here's kind of the biggest push you probably ever heard for generosity. The church needs money for, and then you fill in the blank, a roof, a pastor, um, uh, some lights, uh, I don't know, a piano, hymn books, depends on what kind of church you went to. And so being a, a good church person, you gave some money to it. The problem is it didn't actually feel transforming for you, right? You did what you were supposed to do. You gave money, you put it in the basket, you gave the tip because it was a good message. And at the end, you, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. At the, at the end, you didn't feel 
transformed. You didn't feel freedom in that generosity. And here's why. Because that is, is sporadic giving. It's cause-based giving, and that's good. We can actually meet a lot of needs outside of ourselves by cause-based sporadic giving. But generosity is actually not giving to a cause. Generosity is an orientation of our soul, of our spirit, that focuses not here on ourselves, but actually focuses outward. It's a way of looking at God and looking at people and looking at our community and then looking at our finances in a way that says, I believe that I have something to give, to offer to the larger gathering of people. And when we orient ourselves around generosity, Jesus promises that there's freedom in that. And it sounds crazy because we would think, how can I find freedom or joy giving my money away? But we know that it's actually true, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But when we orient our lives around generosity, two promises happen. The first promise is this. Generous people tend to give more, tend to save more, and tend to spend less. Statistically speaking, that's true. And we know that that's true because generous people don't assume, we learned this last week, we don't assume it's all ours to consume. We don't assume that just because it's in my bank account, it belongs to me. Generous people have a different assumption. We assume that God owns all resources, even the resources in my bank account. And then God invites me to be a manager of those resources for a certain period of time, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. And so we look at our money differently. We, we lay it all up before God and say, okay, God, I don't assume it's all mine to consume. I assume it's actually all yours and I'm managing it for a season. So how much should I spend on me? How much should I save for a rainy day? How much should I give away to causes closest to your heart? Because most of us, if we assume it's ours to consume, we become consumers. And here's what we know about consumers. Consumers have discontentment in our lives because there's always newer, there's always shinier, there's always sexier, there's always a new iPhone, iPad, iWatch, and it's like just, just when you get yours, man, they come out with something. Has anyone else... Does anyone else really want a new iPad or iWatch or iPhone? I do. Yeah, I know. Don't, be, don't feel bad. Listen, Apple is, is so close to God's heart. It really is. So it's okay. But consumerism leads us to always wanting more. And so we live beyond our margin. We get in debt. And then we have crazy worry about money because we assume it's all mine to consume. Because we think that comfort's going to come from receiving. But Jesus says, no, no. If you're a manager of resources, if you don't assume it's yours to consume, then you'll look at it as if God was really in charge of everything and have him place it the way he wants to. And then you'll find contentment. And then you'll find joy. And Jesus promises then you'll find peace. In fact, the second crazy promise that Jesus gives us is this. Generous people are happier than ungenerous people. A guy named Paul who was quoting Jesus said it this way. He said, remember, Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed means supremely happy or ultimately fulfilled or finding deep joy and peace in life. The promise of Jesus is that when we orient our lives around generosity, we will actually be happier. And you and I know this to be true because you know that you're a happier person when you orient your life around giving as opposed to taking. If you've ever been around a, a toddler who just always wants to take, 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 when they get in that mindset, eventually they become unhappy, like they're not getting enough, like they're not getting theirs, like no one really cares about them. But if we can teach our kids how to share, how to be generous, how to give, 
they find more peace and more joy in life. And the same is true for us. Jesus promised us over 2,000 years ago, you'll be happier if you give as opposed to receiving. Now, with all of that at our background, I want to jump in today to the mountaintop view. I want to go back to our definition of generosity, and I want to ask the question, what would it practically look like to hit this peak of generosity where we believe that God is actually for us, where we believe that we'll be happier, that we'll save more, that we'll spend less and give more if we're generous, and ask the question based on our, ge- our definition of generosity, how does this play out? So here's our definition we've been working with for this entire series. Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated, I know it's clunky, but they all have purpose, emancipation, which means we get to free it, I love that, of personal financial assets. Now let's just jump into this for a second. Premeditated. According to God, generous people know what our plan is when it comes to giving. We have a plan and we know it. And the truth is, every one of us in this room has a plan about our generosity. Every one of us. And right now, some of us are thinking, I don't, I don't have a plan. I don't have a plan. I can tell you, if someone followed you around for the next two weeks and wrote down everything you spent your money on, they could show you your plan. Because your plan is just what you do. And listen, if you don't have a plan, like written down somewhere, then I just want to tell you as your friend, you don't have a very good plan. Because instead of telling your money where to go, your money is just going wherever it wants. And money tends to leak. Have you noticed that? Do you ever get to the end of a month and think like, where did it go? It all ran off. It's playing hide and seek and I can't find it. Every one of us has a plan. Generous people have a plan written down. We know where our money is going to go. So it's got to be premeditated and then it's got to be calculated. It has to be calculated, which means we decide ahead of time how much we're going to give. Generous people each month know an amount or a percentage that they're going to give away. We've premeditated it. We've planned it out. We become percentage givers. Generous people uh, have three Ps. We are percentage givers, which means we know how much we're giving away. And and listen, I'm going to give you a mark to shoot for at the end of our time together. But listen— That's a mark to shoot for. That might be your top of Mount Everest. But whether it's 2% or 3% or 5% or 10%, generous people have a percentage. We're 3P givers. Generous people have priority. We give first. And this is key because we all want to be generous. But how many of us have gotten to the end of the month and realized we have no more money to be generous with? If we orient our lives around generosity, we will actually give first because it's a priority in our lives. And then generous people are progressive. Generous people increase our giving over time. You may start with 2% or 3%, but over time you're going to go to 4%, 5%, 6%, 10%. And I'll tell you, it becomes addicting. Uh, it's kind of like piercings. I don't know how many, well, all, a lot of you women have piercings. How many of you guys have piercings? Any guys have piercings in here? Yeah, I see you. Listen, my first piercing was a tongue ring. I just thought that seems like a good way to start. Like if you're going to jump in, you jump in. So I turned 18 and I was a kind of squeaky clean kid, believe it or not. I was a squeaky clean kid who went to a, a, a tattoo parlor in, in down in like an upland, like it was Southern California, watch out. And, um, and I walked in and 
said, I'd like to get my tongue pierced, please. And, and my twin brother did it at the same time. We didn't tell our parents. We didn't ask them because we knew that they'd probably murder us, literally murder us if we did. I know, that's a bad choice. That's a bad choice. This is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. So if you're a teenager right now, ask mom and dad before you get a piercing. But we didn't. We just, we just went for it. And so I went in, and, and if you don't know how they do that, they take like salad tongs on your tongue, and they pull it out, and they take this tube that's sharp, and they just shove it through your tongue. And they're like, hey, you're pierced. It's like, well, that was lovely. It feels really good. And then your tongue swells up because you just had something shoved through it, uh, and it hurt so bad, and my tongue was all swollen, I couldn't talk, uh, and I couldn't eat anything because it hurt so bad. But because it hurt so bad, I needed to take some medicine, so I swallowed like three Advil just to help me out. Uh, and I went home that night, and I started throwing up because I took Advil on an empty stomach. So you can imagine swollen tongue, throwing up, disgusting, disgusting. <laughs> and my parents said that was the minute they knew something was up because my brother... My twin brother, who would never help me if I was throwing up, came running from his room and said, don't worry, mom and dad, I'll take care of him. And they were, my parents said they were in their room saying, is he drunk? Is he high? What is going on? Because there's no way. And so I got that first piercing and it was addicting. So I went from the tongue ring to then I pierced this part of my ear. Then I pierced this part of my ear. Then I got my ears pierced, engaged here. You could almost put a pencil through my ears. They were so big. I was like a human pincushion. Why? Because it was addicting. It's kind of like tattoos. Tattoos are addicting. Guess what? It's the same with generosity. It's addicting. I'm telling you. It's addicting. I'm just warning you. Don't start unless you want to get hooked. I remember being 25 and I sat down in a meeting with Pastor Ron, our founding pastor. I wasn't on staff here at the church and, and he challenged me, have you ever, have you ever tithed, given that first 10% back to God? At that point, I hadn't. I hadn't done it. And he said, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't want you to feel bad. I would just encourage you. That's a great step in trusting God with your resources. And I went home that day and Maria and I had just gotten married and I said, I want to, we need to do this. And she totally agreed. It wasn't like I had to convince her. We, and we said, we're going to start tithing now. And that next Sunday, boom, we started tithing. Now, it was hard. Can I just, can we be honest? When you go from not giving anything to giving away 10% of your money, it's got to come from somewhere. And it meant making cuts and changing things around. But it was one of the best faith decisions Maria and I ever did. And it was addicting. A couple years later, we went to 11%, then 12%, then 13%. Now, I think this last year we gave away 15% or we're on track to give away 15% of our income. And I don't say that like, hey, look at me. Hey, no, I, I say that because I'm telling you, I have regretted a lot of money that I've, that I've gotten, that I've flushed down the toilet, bought a couple motorcycles, realized I'm terrified of riding motorcycles, waste of money. Um, bought lots of shoes and shirts and pants, didn't really like them, didn't wear them. I, you know, I had MC Hammer pants. That was a waste of money. Let's just be honest. That was just a waste of money. But I've never regretted, I've never regretted the money I chose to be generous with. Never. And it became addicting, I'm telling you. So generous people we're progressive givers. We just start with a, a percentage, and then we give a little more, a little more. As God blesses us, a little more. And I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself just loving it. The money I've given to this church, every week when people mark down that they're making decisions to follow Jesus for the first time, I love it as your pastor. I love it as your friend. Can I say I love it as an investor in this church, that I get to give resources to an organization 
where lives are being transformed. I did college ministry for six years before I came on staff here, and we had to raise our own support. It was this great ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I love it. And we raised our own support, and my twin brother, he was giving generously to that ministry, and he'd call me up once a month, and he'd say, so how many people did I save this month? You know, like that was his... And the first time I said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, how many people gave their lives to God this month? Because I'm giving money to this organization, so I'm part of it. Listen, he was being ridiculous, but he was right. He was giving money to an organization that was changing lives, and God was using him to transform lives. That's what God does through generosity. That's why we never have to regret the money we gave away. We waste money all the time. But I've never regretted the money that I've invested in being generous. The next thing is, gener- is designated. Generous people know where our money's going. And this is key. Because you and I get, get pitched all the time to give money away. I mean, how many of you just got a, a, a huge thing of buying wrapping paper and um, buying trinkets and buying everything you need from your school? And that's a great cause, great cause. Uh, the sixth grade teacher who I got that from is in here right now. So it's a great cause, Tyler. Love it. <laughs> And our daughter comes home. She's like, Dad, if I just sell 8,000 rolls of wrapping paper, I get to go, you know, buy this, get this, like, hoverboard. It's like, sister, I'll give you 50 bucks. We'll buy a hoverboard. Like, I don't need to wrap my house in paper. (laughs) They do a good pitch, though. It's good. It's good. But how many of us, we turn on the news, we turn on the TV, we're always getting asked for money somewhere. And some of us, we feel guilty about it. Because it's like, I want to help everything. But generous people don't ever have to feel guilty. And here's why. Because we already know where our money is going. We've designated it. We've prayed about it. We've asked God and we've started giving. Then when an opportunity comes up, we don't have to feel guilty. We can simply ask the question, is this my right next step? And that's hugely freeing for us. So based on, on that, that we know where our money is going, we should ask the question, well, how should I decide where to put my money? How should I decide? And I would say there are two great paradigms to help you figure out where your money should go. The first is we should give based on a great, grateful heart. Give it based on a grateful heart. Is there an organization that you're grateful for the work they're doing? For me, the church is, 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 keenly, is keenly that. Like, I'm so grateful for our church, not just because I'm our pastor. It's like those hair club for men commercials. I'm not just the pastor. I'm a client. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I'm so grateful for our church. My life has been changed through this church. My wife's life has been changed through this church. My kids love church. My daughter showed up with a ukulele because her her kids' ministry over in the zone, they said, bring a ukulele next week. You can help us with worship all week. She's been saying, dad, dad, I get to bring my ukulele and help with worship. She showed up early today with a ukulele. She can't play the ukulele. I mean, she can better than me, but not like, well. But she's being empowered. She's being empowered in kids' ministry. Her life is changing. My little man, Landon, he's five years old. He's learning memory verses. He's, he's hearing stories about God. His life, his paradigms are being shaped. I have a grateful heart for this church, which is why each month when I write out a check for this church, I'm so thankful that I get to do it. And I would ask you, has your life been changed by this church? Is God changing your life, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse? If so, I would say at least a part of your generosity should go to your local church. It just should, because we should give with a grateful heart to where God is changing our lives. 
Now, if your life's not being changed by this church, I would say this, you owe it to yourself to find a church where your life is being transformed. And when you find that church, and I I would help you find it because there are great churches all over Petaluma. When you find that church, I would say give generously to that church. If your kids go off to college and they find a church where they're being blessed, if they find a college ministry like InterVarsity where they're being blessed, I would invite you, give to that college ministry. Give to that church because it's impacting the lives of people you love. So we give based on a grateful heart. The second place we give is we give based on a broken heart. Do you have an organization that's meeting a need that breaks your heart? I have a friend named Cindy who goes to New Life, and um, she's just been captured by an organization that's helping women get out of, of trafficking situations, that's helping battered women and abused women. That's an organization where her heart breaks for a situation that's happening right in our backyard. And she's invested her time and she's invested her resources in that organization because it breaks her heart. Maybe for you it's orphans, the plight of orphans, and you think, I want to invest in that because my heart breaks that these children are growing up without parents. So you start supporting an orphan. Maybe for you it's issues like clean drinking water. Listen, the local church cannot do everything. But my job as your pastor is to empower us to be generous because together we can meet so many needs, right? New life can't solve the water crisis, but there are great ministries that do. What breaks your heart? We give based on a grateful heart. We give based on a broken heart. And when we do that, our passions come together. Where we give, our heart begins to follow. You want your heart to be more invested in this community? I would invite you to give, because Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart follows. Do you want your heart to be more invested in, in a global issue, in a national issue, in a local issue that breaks your heart? Give. Give. And see if God doesn't have that follow. Because I don't care about an organization that I give to, said no person ever. Ever. We tend to have our hearts drawn to the things that we give to. So how do we do it? How do we do it in the church? Well, Jesus actually laid out a paradigm for us on how to do it. And it's interesting because as, as Jesus followers, we have this big book called the Bible, which has 66 letters in it. A number of them are from the time before Jesus walked on the earth. And then the back, about third, is from after the time Jesus walked on the earth, how the church began to form with Jesus and then after Jesus walked on this earth. And there are actually two different paradigms to how the church should meet needs around the world. In the Old Testament paradigm, it was really interesting. Um, The church was also part of the nation. It was the nation of Israel. It was like the church and state were totally combined together. And so in the Old Testament, you see things like, the church needs to, and then lists off all these social issues, which was great because here's the way that they met those needs. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament before Jesus, what they would do is they would have a tax. You would get taxed. If you were a Jewish person, you would get taxed. That tax would go to the temple. It would meet the needs of the priests and meet the needs of the temple, keep the lights on. And then it would also go to meet social issues, welfare and that kind of stuff in the, in the nation. Now, we don't do a tax so much here. Could you imagine coming into church and being taxed? It's like, we could, I guess. We could say, hey, $10 at the door. But I I was thinking, like, a tax wouldn't go so well. I think that would kind of, it would limit our attendance if we taxed you to come to church. But here's what I was thinking. Instead of a tax, what if we sold season tickets? 
Like, that would be cool, right? So, like, um, we could just sell—think about this, right? If we wanted to follow the Old Testament paradigm, we could just sell season tickets to the church. So, um, like, I, I would say, based on looking at you, like, the most expensive tickets would be, like, the middle, the middle, and the middle. So if you want, like, the good seats, okay, you pay a certain amount. Uh, clearly, this area here would cost less, okay, because you're all terrified of me. You're in, you're in good shape because you don't have to pay much. Yes, B, you're in good shape. And then the back would kind of be the, the last part. So we could sell season tickets for it. And we could say, okay, for two tickets, it's a certain amount. For four, you get a family discount. Like, we could sell tickets. You bring in three friends. You get the fourth ticket free. And that'd be one way to fund the church. But that's not actually the way Jesus designed it. That would be, that would be against God's design for us because there's no freedom there. There's no freedom there then we become consumers of church. And God never designed us to be consumers of church. Like, I got my seat. Now, some of you think you bought a season ticket because you always sit in the same seat. And then when someone sits there, we're indignant. It's like, what are you? Ah, I don't know what to do. We start stammering around. One of these days, one of you is going to steal my stool and put it down there, and you'll see how I, like, I'll see how you feel. But we don't sell season tickets. Jesus actually had a better idea. Jesus said, I I want us to be generous. I want us to give generously. And that's what he talked about. He said, you don't need to be taxed. Taxing won't change your life. How many of you, when tax day rolls around, you think, this is really transforming my life for the better. I can't wait for tax day. No. Tax has never changed our lives. Season tickets, especially if you're a Bears fan, that won't change your life. Like me, that was tragic. Nope, I'm not going to go there. It's just heartbreaking. It's just hard. I saw today that Packers fans are the number one fans in the nation, which was like just, it just pained me as a Bears fan. Like not only are we losing, but now your fans are the best. I see that hat. I can't believe you're wearing a hat. No, I'm just kidding. Just that hat in church. I can't believe wearing that hat in church. You're breaking my heart. This is what happens when I get a cold and I just start talking. Jesus laid out a better model, not taxing, not season tickets, generosity. He says, I believe that as my spirit moves among my people, as they begin to trust me more and more, they will become generous and exceedingly generous. And as they are generous, I will be able to meet all the needs, both of the church and in the city and around the world. And then Paul picked up this idea. Paul was this early church planner who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he picked up this idea. And here's what he lays out for us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He's talking about generosity. He's talking about collecting money in the church. And he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. He says, do what I told the Galatian church to do. He says, this is a model that I'm setting up for all churches. He's talking to a church in the city called Corinth, and he's saying, I want you to do the same thing that I told the Galatian church to do, because this isn't just a model for one church. This is the model for how churches should practice generosity. So do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of the week, which is premeditated, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a certain sum of money in keeping with your income. It's calculated. Based on your income, set aside a certain amount of money at the beginning of a week. And I don't care what you do with it, Paul says. You could bury it. You could put it under your mattress. You could put it in an envelope. You could give online. Set aside a certain amount of money. And they're wondering, well, how much money should I set aside, Paul? He says, that's a great question. Set aside a certain amount of money keeping with your income, which literally means 
to the extent that you've been prospered. To the extent that you've been prospered. To the extent that you feel like God has blessed you and prospered you. That's how much money you should set aside. Isn't that interesting? That he doesn't give us an amount. Set aside $20,000, $10,000, $5,000. He says the Spirit of God is moving in this community. And to the extent that God has prospered you and blessed you, set aside a certain amount in keeping with your income. He said, and save it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul says, when I show up at your church, I don't want to have to do a song and dance, tell you a sad story, play a a moving worship song, get the lights low. He says, no collections are going to have to be made because you've already decided to be a generous church. He says, then when I arrive, I'll give letters of recommendation to men that you approve of to send the gifts to Jerusalem. Paul says, church, your job is to be generous, every one of us. He says, and I will make sure that we are accountable financially. And that's the model we've set up at the church. We are financially accountable. In fact, if you wanted to see our full financials at any point, we would get them to you. On the back of your program, it has our worship and finance pastor's uh, direct line. You could call him or you could email him. And he'll get that for you at any time because we want to be financially accountable to you for where every dollar goes. We're not ashamed of it. We're not embarrassed of it. In fact, we're excited about it and proud of it. Paul says that's the way to be generous. It's premeditated. It's calculated. You get to free your resources for the things that are close to you that make your heart glad, for the things that break your heart. And I want to put a bow on this as I I wrap up our time together. Because I love you. So this is our last teaching note. Literally, because I love you. I even wrote it in there. Because I love you. (laughs) Generous people. We give first. We save second. And we live off the rest. The rest of the world lives first, saves second, and gives whatever is left over. Jesus flipped that model. Pastor Ron taught this to me when I was in my early 20s, when I came, when I was just, I was a college student, just struggling to make it through, and it has served me well all the way through. And here's a little percentage that you might want to write down in your notes and consider. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. Give the first 10% back to God. That's called a tithe, the first 10%. Save the next 10% for a rainy day, for retirement, for college, for the things that you know are going to come, and then live off of 80 Give, save, live. And I guarantee if you followed that model, the vast majority of us right now would be giving more than we've ever given, would be saving more than we've ever saved, and would be spending less than we've ever spent. And we'd find freedom. Now, I just want to talk to you for a second as your friend. Money is like the scariest place to trust God for the vast majority of us. It just is. The idea of generosity, the fact that you guys stuck here for an entire series talking about giving your money away, that shows how brave you are, honestly. Honestly. Because giving money away is scary. It's terrifying. If I give it away, I've got less of it. But over and over again, here's what Jesus says. He says, you can trust me. You can trust me that I'm not out to take something from you. I want to give something to you. 
And in just a second, as we wrap our time up, we're going to celebrate communion. And in communion, it's this ancient practice that Jesus set up where we take a little piece of bread, which represents his body that was given for us when he died on a cross. And we take this little cup of juice that Jesus says represents his blood that was poured out on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And we take this and remember it each week because it reminds us that we can trust Jesus, that we can trust him because he gave everything for us. When we were far from God, God came to earth in Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life, a life free from regret. And then he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven by God, so that we could be adopted into God's family, so that we could have God's spirit fill us and we could live with him forever. And if you're here and you're still wondering, can I really trust Jesus with my money? I would say that communion reminds you, reminds me, that we can trust Jesus with everything because he's for us. And he showed us he was for us when he gave his life for us. And so we're going to celebrate communion, and then we're going to sing together. And then I would invite you this week, as we head out of here, just to ask some questions. Should I reorient my finances based on what I've learned about generosity? Is there a new thing for me to do? And what I want to pray for you this week is I'm going to pray for courage, because if, if you and I can walk that step out, it could be the greatest faith igniter that we've ever had. Because Jesus says, where your money is, your heart will follow. And as our money is oriented towards God and oriented towards generosity, our hearts will just be tugged in that direction. And that's what I want for us. So would you join me? I'm going to pray. Then we'll celebrate communion. We'll worship together. And then don't forget, sign up for a life group out in the lobby. Look for Gilligan. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I genuinely believe that this series, this three-week mini-series, this pulling over to the side of the road to talk about generosity and finances could be the thing that brings unimaginable freedom into many of our lives. Where we have had a hard time trusting you, where we've been afraid, where we've, we've felt stuck in our money and in our finances and maybe even in our relationship with you. God, I believe that if you can help us unlock the truth of generosity, that it could unlock some freedom in our lives. And I'm asking for that for our church. Would you continue to form in us a heart of generosity? Would you continue to show us that we can actually trust you with our finances and that we can trust you with our entire lives, our families, our future, our security? Because you gave everything for us to prove to us once and for all that you were trustworthy. And so we celebrate communion and we thank you, God, that you gave it all for us. And that in response, we can give ourselves back to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.